OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Uh, welcome, everybody. We're at, um, uh, it is, I think, Wednesday, four o'clock, and we're interviewing and talking with uh, Rob Douglas, and I'm very excited to sit down with Rob. I've been working with Rob for a couple of years. I've learned a lot from Rob uh, just in all of the meetings that uh, we've been part of through G10 and uh, their analysis of startups. So it's been a really great experience. But Rob, maybe I can turn it over to you. Love to get an introduction on yourself, a little bit about your background, kind of where you've come from to where you are today, and some of the things that you are working on now. And then one thing about you that nobody would know because I always like to kind of get that one little nugget that no one will know about you. And then I can use that next time I'm trying to hit you up for money. And I'll be like, yeah, hey, for sure. Both of us can hold our breath for four minutes underwater. That's amazing. So that's kind of the direction <laughs> I like to go. So uh, yeah, fire, take it away. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here today, Jeffrey. And uh, yes, we've had a, a relationship over the last couple of years, uh, even longer than that, I think at G10. Um, in, in terms of who I am, I'm probably described best as a recovering accountant. I'm a chartered accountant by trade, but uh, have never practiced as such. If you want a tax return done, I don't think you want to ask me to do it. It will not be done well, probably. <laughs> uh, my interest in, in accounting, though, uh, really came from my desire to be in business and in business for myself, and I wanted a business education. And I, I couldn't see a better way to get one than to uh, actually work as, at an accounting firm as an auditor. I worked for what was Price Waterhouse, now Price Waterhouse Coopers. So that's where I got my ticket and uh, honed my interest in working with small businesses or businesses in general. Uh, after that, I, uh, I had an opportunity to move uh, into a totally different career, which was uh, becoming a stockbroker. And I, I did that for the firm that is now uh, uh, Royal uh, Securities or uh, Royal Bank. And uh, uh, that was an interesting exercise. I thought I was gonna be able to provide people with uh, expert advice on how they should be investing in, and uh, filling their portfolios. What I discovered was that when you work for a firm that has an inventory of, uh, of uh, stocks and bonds that uh, you're there to sell their stuff not to provide advice necessarily on what's a good portfolio. And, and I, I don't mean to demean what is done by uh, representatives these days. But anyway, I, uh, I moved on after that uh, uh, to uh, work as a controller in a public company. And out of that, I had an opportunity to actually buy a small division of that company that was uh, for sale. That got me started, and, and that was in uh, the distribution business, actually. It was in the fabric distribution business, small business that employed uh, only 15 people. But uh, it was uh, a business that sold products across Canada, and uh, that really got my feet wet in dealing with all aspects of running a small business, whether it's HR matters, whether it's marketing, whether it's uh, production. Uh, all of those things became part of my my mantra. And uh, uh, I've carried on uh, since that time buying and selling small businesses and uh, providing that kind of holistic uh, 
input to uh, uh, running them and, uh, and managing them. The last company which I owned and managed on my own, uh, I sold in 1996. That was uh, a company that was involved in uh, uh, human resource uh, outsourcing. And uh, it was fortunate that uh, enough capital came out of that uh, exit that I was able to become an angel investor. That led me into uh, working with uh, a partner by the name of Carl Furtado. Uh, he and I started a business together uh, doing capital formation for early stage companies. And that was in 1998. We did that for about a decade. And we uh, were approached in 2008 by the National Angel Capital Organization. I think it was called National Angel Organization actually at that time. But we were approached by them because of our experience in capital formation with early stage companies to put together a not-for-profit angel network in the Waterloo region. So Rob puts up his hand and says, sure, okay, I will be seconded from our company, which was called and still is Roseview Capital, to uh, run GTAN, Golden Triangle Angel Network. So I have uh, spent now 11 years at GTAN, building it from no investments, no members, no office, no telephone, no anything, to uh, a fairly successful venture that has, uh, through its members, uh, over 90 invested companies. Our members have spent about $40 million of their own capital to uh, invest in those early stage companies. And we've been able to attract, because of that uh, additional capital to, or leveraged extra capital. So the impact has been $85 million or so into early stage companies many of them located uh, in the Waterloo region. So Jeffrey, as you know, I have recently stepped back from my leadership role at GTAN and uh, going back to my roots at uh, Roseview Capital, where we're uh, forging some new paths. Uh, not only will we do or, or would we be able to do uh, capital formation, but uh, we're focusing more now on uh, uh, working with uh, foreign nationals, uh, business uh, people from foreign jurisdictions who want to come to Canada and have no idea how to do it. And I'm surprised how many people coming from India or the Orient or uh, uh, Iran, Brazil, you name it, say, I I'm a, an experienced business person, but I have no idea how to do business in Canada. So we're, we're building a, a business or, or at least a, a part of Roseview Capital that will appeal to com uh, companies and people that want to come here and build, acquire, scale, or expand companies in Canada. So that's kind of a snapshot of uh, who I am and away we go from here. Amazing. Well, congratulations to all of that because there was a lot of firsts in there and I think that that's uh, <laughs> super commendable. So um, quite amazing. And just hearing that back in 98, you were um, one of the earlier investors in companies. I think that uh, that's very exciting. Uh, it's not um, uh, in a bunch of the interviews we've done in the past. Uh, we've had uh, different people from Silicon Valley that were the first people in Silicon Valley to make investments. And that blows my mind away, but that's Silicon Valley. So it's obviously the a portal to the investment community, but being able to be one of the starters in the Canadian side of things, that's huge because. Well, uh, thank you for that. It's yeah, been, that's pretty significant. Been interesting. No, that's awesome. 
And you've recorded lots of great numbers. And the thing that uh, you mentioned that really kind of uh, piques my interest and the reason why I was excited to, to chat more about with you in this dialogue was that you kind of focused on the thing to me, which is the biggest part of anything that has to go on in a company. Um, and that's finance. And there's this big fear of finance when it comes to early stage companies. Uh, we don't tend to put as much emphasis on the financial side of it because it's early stage, yet it's pretty important. So we do look at uh, obviously everything in business. And I think now that you're, when you're working on uh, the four nationals and bringing them in, I, I think there's also a play there that still has to deal with the finance side. And I'd like to kind of explore more on your experiences on that finance side, because obviously you've generated 90 mil or 40 million into 90 companies. You guys have really done a, a great significant effort into growing small business, um, not only through Rosio Capital, but through the angel networks and so on. Um, what do you think is the big fear when it comes to early stage companies looking at finance? Is it just lack of understanding of the books and the knowledge of the business um, and experience? Or what do you think is some things that the startups can look at changing to be stronger and more suited when they're starting their companies? Well, I think uh, the, the operative word there is inexperience. Uh, most uh, early stage companies that you and I would see at a G10 selection meeting uh, tend to be uh, uh, technology-based companies, an IT play of some sort. And these are technologically uh, strong entrepreneurs, but uh, accounting and governance and all those kinds of things are, are not what they are used to. So I come at things from sort of a different perspective that uh, yes, in the early days of uh, Roseview Capital, uh, my role in dealing with early stage companies was to assess what was their financial presentation usually within their business plan and to provide some input and advice on how it might best be presented in order to uh, appeal to investors. But above and beyond that, it had to make some sense. And still I see entrepreneurs who think that they're gonna just turn the world upside down and money's gonna roll in the door the moment that they uh, uh, introduce a product to the marketplace. And uh, as you would know, it takes much longer to introduce a product. It costs much more money to introduce a product. So typically the financial uh, plan that you see in an early stage uh, uh, business company uh, is, is not, uh, not strong and needs to be tempered. And uh, it usually suggests to an entrepreneur that all of a sudden uh, money they thought they were gonna have, they're not gonna have in any hurry and that uh, some financing is gonna be required to actually help them launch and accelerate the process, which is where we get into dealing with angel investors. So there's a big reality check, I think, that uh, most entrepreneurs need to go through and an understanding that uh, most early stage companies are not an overnight success. If we go back and look at a company like BlackBerry, well, we say it was an overnight success. Yeah, it took 20 years to be an overnight success, so to speak. So it, it takes a lot longer and a lot more patience and a, a lot more just uh, common sense, I think, uh, to understand the numbers and respect the numbers and uh, run your business with a good eye on the numbers and the cash flow, because everything is about cash in the door and being able to meet your expenses. 
Well, you, you kind of hit the, the nail on the head there with one that uh, I was going to jump right into, which is cash flow. Is, uh, is there some advice that you can share around, you know, you, you focused on this whole, um, probably giving it a more a holistic view, how I look at a business when I'm putting the financials together, inexperience, I need to put something together uh, so that the investors will like it. I put these high projections. But really when it comes down to it's survival, uh, it's really early on. You've got to brace for uh, bad weather so that you can actually uh, move through the next eight to 12 months. Is there any advice or any information that you have around the cash flow that can really help a startup understand, you know, the pitfalls that they might face? You know, if this comes, you know, take a break, slow down, don't go and resource up like crazy. Before you do that, maybe look at this side of the business or things like that that you go through with the startups to kind of get them to better understand how to lay out the business over that next eight to 12 months while they're generating uh, angel investment. Yeah, and, and my advice is, is generally go slow and don't make any big commitments. People think, oh, well, I need a big office. Well, I need some new office equipment. Well, I need new furniture and that kind of stuff. Um, startups that are successful uh, often start in the basement. They start in a garage, Steve Jobs, you know, any of those people you talk about those kind of experiences. They start in a modest way and they, they uh, fund their expenses out of cash flow. So when they got some money, they, they will buy something that they really need. But boy, I'm, I'm always telling people, don't extend yourself because you think you need to, you think you're gonna have a need for something. Um, gotta be cautious. And in that cautious side of things, do you, do you like or try and push startups to look for uh, government side funding? Like, is there vehicles out there where they can find dollars that can help them through that MVP or prototyping stage where it's better to do it that way than uh, to invest that personal capital or angel money into there? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I would not overlook government funding. Um, a lot of people think that it's pretty complex to find it, but uh, you've got governments out there that are as anxious as bankers, I will say, and maybe more anxious than bankers, to actually inject some money uh, into the economy and in, into companies. So my experience over the last decade has been with uh, organizations like FedDev in Ontario that had a wonderful program called uh, Investing in Business Innovation, IBI. It doesn't exist in that format anymore. But uh, in that particular instance, uh, uh, FedDev was willing to advance uh, 50 cents on every dollar that was invested by uh, uh, angel investors up to a maximum of uh, 2 million angel investment, 1 million for them. Uh, it was a marvelous program and it was a loan, so it was not dilutive to the uh, companies that were accepting it. Uh, low, low interest rate and uh, extended payment terms. So uh, it was ideal. Now, anytime you, you, you get in bed with a large organization like a government though, there are reporting requirements. So you have to understand that there will be late nights uh, doing reports to uh, explain how you are using their money. But uh, we've got uh, Ontario uh, organizations and we've got federal organizations that uh, have money to spend. And uh, if you have uh, a need and can find your way through the labyrinth of where the money rests that will best suit your needs, I, I would advise uh, looking. 
No, that's some great advice. Uh, is there, uh, you, you mentioned kind of, you know, you're kind of going through this, trying to find the, the best way to grow your business. You're looking for um, cash infusion, uh, balancing your cash flow. You're looking at government funding. Uh, so do you think anywhere in this mix that there's a, a good opportunity or a good value to find maybe a fractional CFO or somewhere along the lines of a resource that can help you on the finance side? It tends to be from what I've noticed, a lot of companies leave that as the very last choice of someone to talk to. Um, they're more or less geared because a lot of angels and businesses want you to have high sales. So they tend to uh, run and gun on the sales side and build the marketing and then they leave the finance to the very end and then it becomes a massive cleanup job. Um, and legal falls in that bucket too. And I think those are two of the unknowns that really happen in business. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so do you recommend something along those lines to help out at the beginning and you know what, save some money because it's going to help you uh, in the long run? Fractional CFO, I would highly recommend. And uh, I, over the years, have offered my services personally to companies to uh, help them with their record keeping and uh, their, their financial systems and to create a little bit of discipline about, well, let's have a financial statement every month. Let's watch the cash flow on a regular basis. And uh, depending on, on the business and, and its, uh, its maturity, it could be looking at cash flow every week. Like, what have we collected this week? What are our payroll requirements? So on and so on. So uh, uh, operating a small business, I, I refer to as constant vigil. You can't just assume that uh, because you issued an invoice, uh, to somebody that the money's going to come in and you don't need to pay any attention to what's in the bank. You'll get a rude surprise someday when it's Friday and you got to write those paychecks and guess what? There's no money there. So a fractional CFO, I think, is a good idea to help monitor things. Um, the cost is, is only, well, it's insignificant compared to the benefits that you may get. But again, because of the nature of the companies we deal with and the entrepreneurs being more interested in their technology than in the back office, as it were, it's often ignored, but should not be. No, again, more great advice. And I, I, I highly, uh, again, support that. I think that's huge. I, I do think that a lot of companies push that away too much. And I think it's a real benefit to the startup to look at um, when they're starting to grow that company and they, they get their first thousand or first $10,000 in there, um, the lights go off and the excitement for what they've accomplished. And I need to hire, I need to do all these things. But uh, I do think there's a huge value in, in understanding the numbers better and understanding. Uh, I think it's not always understanding the, the, the current business, it's understanding the future business. And now you've started to work on market fit. And there's government programs where you can get into for uh, getting uh, that small funding that can help your business. But there's also bigger government funding that can help you with shreds and other um, pieces like that that can be very beneficial to your business. And that can help you plan out when you're going to get cash coming back in and infusing back into your business. I believe so. Yep. I so in now that you've kind of moved through this, you've really kind of educated us through this system on, uh, uh, on how to start working with a CFO and managing cash flow. So there's kind of that next stage, and you mentioned this, which was monthly cash flow statements and things like that. So are you kind of big and heavy on reporting? 
Uh, is this something that you kind of get behind as well? And, and uh, I, I have a deep opinion in this, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on it because I think this is kind of falls into exactly what you were trying to get at. And Well, yeah, I, I do believe in reporting. There's no question about that. And that ties in with the fact that I at least have this uh, financial credential behind me. But uh, as an investor, uh, I have had experiences where I have worked with entrepreneurs who are very good in keeping you informed. And then there are those who just want your money and want you to go away. And uh, the term I would use is absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Uh, I get very frustrated when all of a sudden I have no idea what's going on with an entrepreneur that I had some trust in. And because of that, I, I over the years have uh, refined my, my selection process to working with entrepreneurs that I really have a strong feeling for, as opposed to, um, uh, shall I say, just a, a quick investment in what looks like a promising technology without giving full consideration to who's driving the bus every day. And, and I got to have a strong feeling that uh, uh, the entrepreneur and I are on the same page with respect to our mutual expectations, which includes regular reporting. So in these, uh, in the types of reports that you're looking for, uh, are you looking for cash flow statements or are you looking for more, uh, just a generalized bucket that says, here's the health of the business, here's what's going on, here's the good and bad and the ugly, and kind of working through those and then setting up I don't know if it's monthly or quarterly meetings at the beginning. Is there some sort of structure and governance that you try to kind of put into them so that they get used to that going forward? Or are you just happy if it's a quarterly because it's better than a yearly kind of thing? Oh, no. <laughs> the quarterly is way too long for me. Uh, I, I come from just a personal feeling of wanting to be hands-on involved in a business without getting in the way, so to speak. So as, as an angel investor, I am uh, not at the passive end of the scale. Uh, I am closer to the hands-on. And uh, so I, I would like to receive a phone call on a regular basis or, or, or maybe not so regular, but a phone call that says, we've got a problem, Rob. Um, here, here are the options. We could go here, we could do that. So I, I, I like to be consulted. Uh, I do like to see reports that come out on a regular basis. But that would be monthly, I would suggest. So it's a monthly financial statement, and it doesn't need to be um, you know, so detailed that it takes somebody days and days and days to prepare. And in this day and age when we've got QuickBooks and all kinds of other accounting software, um, it can be kept up to date pretty quickly. And uh, so we can get what I'll call meaningful reports, or in some cases, the content of the report is, is not as important as the fact that the entrepreneur is having to think about reporting. But if it's not part of their, their DNA, then you really worry about what's slipping through the cracks. But at least if they know that there's an expectation that Rob or a shareholder or somebody else wants to look at something on the last day of the month or the uh, last day of the, the week following, uh, some attention will be paid. And then that opens the opportunity for a little discussion, a few questions. What can we do better next month? It, it's a healthy exercise to be revisiting where you're at and what you're doing on a regular basis, not quarterly or yearly. 
at least not the sorts of companies that I want to be involved in. No, that's great. And, and I fully support that and think that that is uh, some, some, obviously some more great advice. So on this regular basis side, uh, it kind of sounds like you're, like you said, you're working as a consultant. You want them to feel free to share and update you as much as they can. So you're building that process in for as that company grows. So taking them through that process. So they'll always want to do this. Um, does that kind of put you into um, an advising role? Like, does it allow you or want, do you want to be part of that company in that capacity? Is that something that you look for when you're working with these companies as well, as you found this owner, you like what they're doing. So you say, Hey, you know what, I'll join your board. Or like, is there some process there that you try to make sure it ties you in so you can create that similar governance? Yeah, uh, exactly. So when I said I, I'm not at the passive end of the scale, I really would want to be involved. So uh, my, my um, track record would, would show that I invest in a smaller number of companies and companies that I can therefore take a more active role in. And uh, so whether it's a board role, whether it's coaching and mentoring in some other capacity, uh, as I said right at the outset, because I have a comfort level operating small businesses. The largest business that I ever operated, uh, there were 50 employees at one point in time. So I, I'm not familiar with how to run an organization that's got thousands of employees. So, so think of me 50 or less, so 10, 15, 20. I can get my mind around that. I, I got some sense about uh, the, the uh, dynamics of the personnel uh, angle and, and the, the things that are going to uh, get in the way of running the business effectively. So I can do a little coaching on the HR side. I can do some financial coaching. I've had to prepare marketing programs myself. You know, so, so I understand that it has to be done and am pleased to be uh, consulted when somebody says, well, how do you like the look of this, right? And I'll say, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff on that page and there's not enough white space. I think if you did a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So, you know, I, I, I'm a mixed bag. I'm a generalist that can, can touch some points in a small business that I think would be helpful uh, on a regular basis. That's the relationship I want to enjoy with the company. I love that. And you're also keeping advanced on how things should look and feel, the white space. So you actually have a good knowledge and generalist knowledge of what's going in the market, what people like, and driving it forward. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That, that's it. And uh, so here I am. I, I continue to have that interest and, and, and look forward to having that interest. There are people who say, hey, Rob, boy, you're done GTAN now. You're going to retire, right? And I quickly say, I don't want a wheelchair and I don't want a lawn chair. I want to be active in business and always have been since I was in my teens, uh, or maybe even earlier, I would have been the kid that had the lemonade stand out on the, on the, on the, on the street. Um, uh, I was the kid that would want to go and paint the neighbor's fence as opposed to going to the theater in the afternoon. You know, <clears throat> I'm a doer. That's, yep. you know, that's just... I like to get things done. No, that's awesome. And, and you know what? It's helpful because you're taking your past experiences and you're allowing them to filter through what you're doing every day, which is working with and helping early stage companies. And I think yep. that that's brilliant and it's super helpful. Um, so I think you've, you've kind of taken us through this nice little journey of how finance makes a big difference in the small business and the different things that you, you can do 
and how the reporting feature works and being an advisor or a mentor to help out these companies. Um, can you give us a little bit more detail on how and the shift now from the G10 investment side, how you're looking at the, the new structure of your business, bringing um, new business coming into Canada and working with them to come in. Um, is there a process? Is there something that you look for in a company to help them come into Canada? Is it a tech-based? Is it numbers that they have to have a set amount of revenue? Or you're kind of just open it up and you figure out, okay, well, you're in this sector and we've got opportunities here and you work with uh, the government bodies to, to help those uh, businesses come in. Can you share a little bit more how that works? Well, yeah, and <clears throat> a couple of things. First of all, we, we're establishing two programs. The first one we call our base program, which is building, acquiring, scaling, or expanding a business in Canada. Um, that is designed to orient foreign nationals on whether or not Canada is the right place for them to come and do business. So we're not being so specific about a sector that you should come from. So it doesn't matter whether you're an IT or you're a manufacturer, whatever it may be. Um, we welcome people to come into this program, which is designed through 15 units of education to provide them with an overall understanding of what it's like to do business in Canada. So we're very fortunate that we have some great uh, uh, industry partners like Miller Thompson, like KPMG, like TD Bank, uh, Miller, uh, uh, Cushman and Wakefield, excuse me, uh, and uh, regional support. So in these 15 units, we, we, we start by uh, uh, what's our legal structure? And that, that is the first unit. The second unit is uh, what's our accounting structure and our banking structure? Then we look at, well, what's our government structure like? And, and, and what's the relationship that businesses have with government? And then we look at real estate. Well, what's it like uh, here to rent space, to own space? How do you buy a house? How do you do? And we take people through all of this, including some uh, ideas on business planning. So if you're gonna come here and, and introduce yourself, you're gonna have to have a business plan, which means you're gonna have to have uh, a bit of a strategy about what you're doing. You're going to have to be able to uh, have a marketing idea of, of what, what you're going to do here. You're going to have to know how to build a business plan and, uh, and, and a budget. So anyway, there are 15 units we take people through to, to provide them with some orientation. Once done, they then have an opportunity to move into what we call our RISE uh, incubator. So it's a Roseview Incubator Services for Entrepreneurs. And, and so that incubation process will help us take them to actually developing a full-fledged business plan and launching a business. And uh, you know that may take six months, that may take eight months, that may take 12 months. But it, it's all, I guess, based on a whole lot of experience that I have had uh, over the years working with early stage companies and being able to provide those inputs in a range, but working with uh, partners that I have, uh, Melissa Durrell, who is a communication specialist, Mike Dearden, who is a government relations and strategic planning specialist. Uh, I can provide some financial stuff. And then we have other people who are part of our faculty who will be delivering information to these people in an incubator setting. So the focus is on helping people start a business uh, in a new land and launch a business 
And along the way, if there's a requirement for funding, we have some pretty good friends out there in the funding atmosphere. So whether it's GTAN or whether it's uh, uh, OCE, whether it's MedDev, whoever it may be, we can also help them uh, get some funding if it's required. So that's uh, the focus of what we're doing right now. Brilliant. No, that sounds uh, pretty exciting. So are you it glad is. to be back in the scene? Like you kind of shift pages, you're still in the same scene, but are you kind of glad that you're now back to running back what you were doing? The juice is back in... Uh, uh, well, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I, as I said earlier, I started G10 with, with uh, no members and no deals and all that kind of stuff. And so right back doing the same same thing. So this is my next decade, as it were, where we're going to build this business. And uh, I would love to be able to look back or at the end of the line say, here are a hundred successful companies in Canada that we help bring from various foreign jurisdictions. They now employ thousands of people and uh, are exceedingly, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll say doing well, but also contributing a lot to the Canadian economy and the wealth of our community. So that's, that's what really gives me a high, as it were, the, the contribution that these companies may give to Canada and our uh, local regions. I love it. So Roseview is making some changes and they're going to grow and uh, get back into uh, uh, where they're comfortable doing all the good stuff that you have been. So that's amazing. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Never stop until you're, you can't do it anymore. I think yep. that's what Steve Gilpin keeps saying. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. You have to keep pushing. Uh, so uh, in this kind of manifestation of something new and exciting that's coming through, um, are you finding that in the economy that we have right now that it's a good timing to kind of build in this new format of business and, and really dive in to help out? Um, I don't know that the economy at this point in time has, has so much effect as uh, the fact that there are a large number of people in foreign jurisdictions that are, I'm going to say, disadvantaged. And, and uh, you know, we, we've got some parts of the world that... Uh, are war-torn areas and, and there are still people there who have bright ideas and, and would be worthy Canadian citizens. So uh, there's an altruistic viewpoint to helping people out of a situation that is a bad situation and bringing them here. But also we have to recognize that uh, Canada's birth rate is insufficient without immigration to support the social programs that we have at this point in time. So baby boomers getting older and, and so the healthcare costs are getting greater and yet there are fewer people who will be employed who have to pay the costs of all of that. So immigration is really important to us and immigrating people who have good ideas, who can build businesses and be contributors to our economy, I think is very, very important. Agreed. Uh, hugely important. And it, it works through all streams, right? If, uh, uh, when immigration is down in any country, um, they all have a, a tough time struggling to help small business find cash flow and, and generate sales across the board. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, people coming in all over the place is really benefiting every, every uh, uh, government or every country that's out there. And uh, I think the policies will continue to shift and change in the Canadian side of things in North America um, to be able to help that. And, and you can take 
Um, if we don't make these changes, you will see that we'll be positioned like a, J a Japanese culture or Japanese um, Japan, where they've had um, a really slow birth rate and growth rate in the economy that the uh, average age of marriage and kids is stagnantly really high. And what has caused the economy to have to open up huge on the um, influx of immigration in order to support the elderly people that are in the economy. Uh, and mm -hmm. they, they don't know what else to do anymore. So, and they're one of the economies that never really opened up to immigration. So <laughs> yep. You're seeing such a big shift. And I think I, I, I would predict in the next um, maybe 15 years, 30 years, uh, you know, you're going to have a, a change in just the way the policy works for traveling. I think you'll be able to travel anywhere in the world that you want. They're going to have to open up uh, to, uh, I'd say, 75% of all countries. I know you've got the EU and things like that, but I think those packages are going to open up everywhere. And the reason being is that they want you to go in other countries. They want you to spend money. They want you to go there and work for two, three years. Uh, why not we just make this world uh, passport so that you can come into my economy, buy a place, spend some money, go to your next economy and not have to uh, be constrained by taxes and other issues because we need those dollars. We need those people working here. And maybe we need to rethink on the way that uh, we globalize uh, our countries. So I think there's in time, that might be something that comes out of it as long as they don't keep, keep building moats around our countries. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it might be a way for, uh, for them to drop that down. And I think with the discussions that they're having right now with uh, universal income, you're probably going to see that style of um, universal travel and, and pieces that allow for people to go in and out of countries uh, a lot relatively faster and move uh, commerce quicker. It'll be fun to see it unfold. Yeah, I'll be there with my first passport. I'm in. I want to be able to do that. So okay. I think it'll be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, Rob, I think uh, you shared some awesome information. Um, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure the audience is going to uh, learn a significant amount in this as well. Um, I'm sure there's a few more things that we're going to dive into, but I think what I'm going to do now is we're going to jump into the uh, rapid-fire questions. And uh, then from there, we'll end it off with one or two more questions. And uh, hopefully that works for you. Works for me. I love what it. questions do you have? Uh, all right. Well, we'll jump into them. Uh, so only because I, uh, we did talk a little bit about this one, so you can put a little bit more in interest into this one. But, uh, you know, you mentioned kind of why and how you got into startups. Uh, but what's your favorite part of investing in startups? My favorite part. Well, I would have to say my favorite part of investing in startups would be getting to know the entrepreneur really well. Uh, it's a fundamental uh, building block for me that if I'm going to invest in a company, the uh, entrepreneur has to be somebody that I can work with and that I like. I, I need to be able to get along with somebody. So I get my energy from people and, and knowing an entrepreneur and trusting and, and being enthusiastic about seeing that entrepreneur succeed. Uh, that's the best part of angel investing. I love it. The energy. It's just, uh, it's always strong. And uh, especially when you get to learn uh, more about that person, right? It just kind of helps draw you right into the business. Yes. Uh, okay, perfect. Uh, how many companies or dollars do you invest per year? How many companies or dollars do I invest? Well, uh, that, that's... Uh, uh, and you can it generalize varies. whatever is easiest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say fewer rather than a larger number of companies because I'm selective. I'm looking for opportunities where my uh, 
background will add some value. So I'm not looking to invest in 10 companies a year. I would prefer to look for one or two that I could add value to. So that's where I come from. And the no, company- it's a great answer. It's you're bringing something that most don't and that's value. So if you're going to be able to get into it, I think that's a great strategy and a great plan. Yeah. Uh, do you f- do follow up investments and what percentage of investments? Do I f- do follow on investments? I absolutely do, or at least make sure that I am prepared to do that. Again, that's uh, just because I take a personal interest in the companies I invest in. It's not a passive venture for me. So I want to make sure that uh, if the company needs some more of my help, that I haven't spent all of my money up front, so to speak. So I would like to help them in that way or also uh, to source money, whether it's from uh, other introductions I can do or through government sources and, and banks. Love it. Uh, do you have any notable companies that you'd like to share? And I don't know that I have any notable companies that I would like to share. Um, uh, most of the companies that I have worked with and, and invested in are, I, I, I'm going to call them almost no names in that I don't have any uh, uh, multi-million dollar hits that I have made on uh, early stage investments. I have made a tidy income with uh, small amounts on many occasions, so to speak. And uh, so those companies uh, tend to be, uh, as I say, no names that uh, you would not recognize probably. And that's okay, exits are good. We don't, uh, we don't get worried about how you, uh, how you get to them as long as you make the right decisions and it sounds like you've done that. So you yeah. love it. Uh, any verticals that you like to focus on? Well, uh, any verticals I like to focus on. I think we're all um, uh, part of this, at least in Waterloo region, uh, part of the uh, technology uh, hub, as it were, we've got the University of Waterloo, and we've got uh, uh, Laurier, and we've got uh, the AC, and we've got Unitech, and so on. So we tend to see more uh, IT companies and technology companies in this region than we do manufacturing or others. And therefore, uh, my bias goes in that direction, but it's not because I'm specifically looking so much as I'm happening, happening to meet companies who are in those verticals. Okay. Uh, do you have any preferred terms that you like to invest on? If it preferred shares, common, safes, anything to that extent? Terms. I prefer common shares always. Uh, and, and that shouldn't say that I would exclude uh, uh, debentures or, or preferreds, but uh, Common shares, uh, it fits with my psyche that uh, I'm part of the, uh, uh, the, the company right from day number one, and uh, I'm not going to win or lose uh, at the same rate that uh, the uh, owners of the company are. Love it. Do you have any uh, specific due diligence that you like to make sure that you wrap around when you are getting close to finalizing a commitment? Due diligence. I think it's a very important element of what we do, and it's more than just me getting to know an entrepreneur. Uh, If we look at my background as accounting, um, processes and checklists and numbers and and, uh, 
respect for building a file of information is important to me. So I don't go on gut feel. I quite frankly, uh, I like to know who the entrepreneur is, but I, I like to see a paper trail that gives me the comfort that knows or that suggests that uh, uh, everything is in order. And it gives me some assurance that probably uh, we're going to have good reporting as we move forward if there is a good due diligence file that has been prepared or that we work. Love it. Uh, what is your timeline for investment? Like one to three months, something standard, or you just kind of roll with it? What's your timeline? Nothing. Yeah. Timeline for investments. There is nothing standard. Uh, the only thing that I would say is never rush it. So uh, uh, I have done some of those in the past and they virtually all have failed that I didn't do my homework. No. So I've learned that over the years, that don't rush it. I agree. Anything that rushes it, there's uh, crazy, but even in anything I do in business, if somebody's rushing me, I refuse to jump anymore because I found that every time I'm being rushed, something's being missed intentionally and uh, it doesn't net out nicely. Yep. So never rush, I agree. Good advice. Uh, do you lead rounds or take board seats? Um, lead rounds or take board seats. I, I'm going to say that I do lead rounds only in, in the sense that uh, I often do deals where there are a couple of other people who maybe want to be passive investors and therefore they kind of look to me because I want to be the hands-on person to be the lead preparing the due diligence and bringing a report back to them saying, this is what I've found. This is what I'm willing to do. This is how I'll engage with the company. And my uh, partners in that case will say, okay, let's go for it. Typically, I'm not involved in deals that have dozens of investors. Uh, you know, I'm looking at uh, investments where it's me and it's two other people, something of that sort. And I'm the eyes and ears. So I'm effectively taking the lead. If you talk about taking the lead though, on a larger investment, I'll say with a dozen other uh, co-investors, that's a big commitment. Uh, not only the amount of time you have to spend, but uh, the responsibility to those other people. So uh, uh, that's not a role that I have particularly sought to do. Okay, understandable. And then you did mention that uh, you're, you're, when you're in the company, you're game to be on the board since it's, uh, it's pretty crucial to uh, how you operate and work with that startup. So. Um, all great insights and information. So yeah. the, the next, we're kind of shift out of these rapid fire questions. And now I have kind of, I'm always looking for that heartfelt story of a company that you came across, you invested in, or you worked with that kind of went from nowhere to nothing to falling off the face of the earth to then just popping. And uh, they just found their way. Any stories that uh, you can share that have, that you've come across and, in the, the last few years that you've been working in the um, angel world that can kind of help perk everybody's energy up to, to learn that this is what somebody had to go through to get to where they wanted to be? Well, I don't have a specific example that I have, have worked with so much as, as I always go back to the story of, uh, of Apple. And in the year 2001 or so, Apple was out of business, like they were dead ducks and look where Apple is today. And so somehow there's something about perseverance and getting things right. And, and uh, it goes back, I think, to focus 
and uh, they're just not taking your eye off the ball. So there was a firm that, uh, uh, bless his heart, uh, Steve Jobs would, you know, he, he just wouldn't give up. And uh, look what it has produced, most valuable company on the face of the earth, effectively. So um, I look to situations like that. I, I can't give you an example of uh, a company that I have worked with that has sort of been through that same kind of uh, transformation. But it does happen. And uh, so I, I think you need to believe and believe for a long time. I, I have a, a large amount of stick to generally speaking. No, I love it. And you hit it right there with perseverance, right? Sometimes you, you think you've got to the end of the ropes and you can't find another way around it. And you kind of take a way back from it and you sit down and, and uh, relax and you'll find that just something hits with you and you jump right back in the match and go at it pretty good and, and make it happen. So I think you've got to, sometimes you got to take a step back to refocus, uh, but perseverance and driving and never really giving up is, is your, a, a way to win, um, especially if you know you got something that's worth it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is there um, one piece of information that you can share that you found over the years of working with startups that you think outside of maybe it's perseverance because we just talked to it? Is there something that really stands out that you think an owner really needs in order to be successful? Well, I think uh, an owner <clears throat> needs to be well aware of what's going on around them. And uh, when I say that, um, you, you can't sort of be introverted and expect that you can operate your business without being fully aware of what's going on in your marketplace, who is in your marketplace, what's going to influence you, uh, not only uh, today, but uh, a, a year from now and so on. So I, I think uh, I've seen too many entrepreneurs who get, I'll just say comfortable, doing what they're doing, business seems to be going okay, and uh, they get blindsided by new technology that may come from somewhere else or, or uh, just different trends. Uh, COVID-19, like, were you prepared? And so I, I think that there is an element of preparedness that people need to be aware of. And, and so it's planning and it's stepping back from the business, uh, using your terms. Um, and, and assessing the situation from time to time. So it's a little bit of a, a strategic planning process that one needs to engage in and uh, should do it on a regular basis. And that doesn't suggest it's monthly, but maybe once a year, you've got to sit back and say, where are we? Where do we want to go? Reassess our goals and make sure that uh, everything's on track. I love it. Great advice. Planning, stepping back. Yep. All those things are going to help you uh, clear your mind and figure out how I got to get to where I need to be. Yep. I think I'll take something you said earlier, which is working with advisors and, and the consulting side of things. Um, I think that that will also help you uh, build that target of somewhere to go. Having these people jump in and tell you that you need to be here and, and having them um, get behind you and support you will uh, help you drive faster as well. Absolutely. So, if we take a look at the crystal ball and we say, based on where we are right now, three months, the next three months, and then the next three years, are there any verticals you think that industry startups, investors should be focusing on? And is there any predictions you want to throw out through your crystal ball that says, you know what, the next three months we're going to end up here, but in three years we're going to be over in this side of the, the field and think about these areas to focus on because they're going to be huge markets. So what should we be focusing on in the near term and maybe in the longer term? 
I think we've learned recently uh, because of COVID-19 that there's going to be a great deal more activity done online. People who uh, didn't shop online, people who uh, uh, never thought they'd buy groceries online are doing that now. So I think we need to be aware that the whole world of online applications is going to be uh, an important place. Also, in line with what I suggested earlier about immigration, uh, we've got baby boomers that are still in our system that are going to be a heavier and heavier load on uh, our healthcare system. So anything that I that, that, that is focused on healthcare and perhaps more particularly geriatric care, I think uh, is probably going to be uh, a very hot area. Maybe I shouldn't even call it hot, but a, a good area. So th those two things I would Online and, and healthcare. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like that. Yep, those are uh, those are great. Uh, well, I think that uh, Rob, we've learned a ton. I think you've shared a lot. Um, it was fantastic to get you know get to know you a lot more. Um, I did what I always <laughs> do, which is taking lots of notes. And, uh, <laughs> good for you. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So lots of lots of good stuff there. And uh, I guess the the way that um, I want to say thank you first of all. Uh, for all of your time and sharing with us and allowing us to share this out to the community. And I think it's going to be very helpful. And the one thing that I do like to do, which is um, our last segment of the show, and that is I want to give you the option to share one thing that you want to say out, your last word for startups or investors, anything that you want to give advice or anything like that that you think is going to be beneficial, but we give you the last word. You give me the last word. Well, um, I would say, you know, you've got to focus on your business, but you also have to have a life. And you better make sure that when you get up every day, that what you are doing is what you want to do. And as I said earlier about uh, not wanting a wheelchair or a lawn chair, so many people say to me, Rob, you must really like what you do. And I say to them, I... I find my life is so exciting. I meet so many young entrepreneurs and older entrepreneurs, but uh, people who are uh, creating new and different ways of doing things, uh, who have new and different technologies, and it's all very exciting for me. So I only suggest to everybody who is in business, make sure that you're really happy, that the shoe fits, that the glove fits, and that uh, uh, it, you just want to drive this business every day that you get up in the morning, that it's uh, what you, you, it's what drives you. I love it. I've noted that one down and I'm going to use that in my monologue, but I think it's brilliant. So uh, yeah. I like it. Well, Rob, again, thank you very much for all your time today. Everything you do in the community, everything you've done to build G10, you've done a lot of great things. We thank you. And uh, I thank you for spending the time with me, but uh, I want to say uh, have a fantastic day and um, happy Wednesday. And uh, thank you again for your time. It's been my privilege to be here. So thank you, Jeffrey, for inviting me. You bet. Have a great day, Rob. And thanks again. Okay. Okay. That was fantastic. So Rob shared a ton of great things. Two areas to focus on online. Everything's moving online. hundred percent agree with that. Super correct. Healthcare, another big one. Why? Because as he mentioned, you have geriatrics, elderly people changing, 
we have a big influx coming. How are we going to manage through that? Of course, you got COVID and other things that can come out in the next uh, three to five years. So that's a great idea, great way to focus on uh, the next uh, three years. And I did like what he said when uh, you got to believe in what you do. And when you wake up in the morning that you're excited of what you are doing and that's your driver and that you're happy and you're happy doing what you are every day. So you've got one life to live. You might as well be happy, smiling and driven and passionate about what you're doing. And I think he really hit that one uh, home for that and uh, make sure you're really happy. So yeah, from everybody here at, at OPN and the supporters fund, thank you very much for joining in. Uh, Rob was a, a great guest and I'm a, a big fan of, uh, of, of Rob and being able to work with him. Uh, he's uh, very knowledgeable and I've uh, learned a lot. So thank you, Rob. And thank you everybody for joining in. Have a great day.